Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Well, Merry Christmas, Christ Community Church. Uh, I think some guys are going to set up some more chairs. We're a few, few up here, a few over here. And so, but uh, some guys will, can set those up as we have some more people coming in. Well, I will tell you two things from the beginning. Um, one, I have to run out of here right after service to get to Kroger because, before it closes at 6 o'clock because my wife and I both realized we were out of coffee this afternoon. And, um, and at the Rawlings household at 10 a.m. when there's no coffee, that's a Dateline episode waiting to happen. So I apologize that for, from the get-go. Um, I will also admit to this. I am when it comes to Christmas time. Now, my wife loves Christmas, adores Christmas, cannot wait for Christmas. I'm a Grinch. I'll just be honest with you. You know, thank you. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's, you know, uh, and part of it is, is, is completely my fault. I made a really bad bargain. And, you know, the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And as many of you know, I love scary movies. I just, I love Halloween time. I love scary movies. From the time I was a little kid, some of you may be old enough to remember when Superhost was on WUAB on Saturday afternoons. And, yeah, and would, would play like the Wolfman and Dracula and stuff like that. I loved it. Fell in love with it. My wife hates scary movies. Not only does she hate them, I'm not even allowed to watch them when she's sleeping. She says the noises give her nightmares. So I, I, I made this deal early on in her marriage. I said, okay, 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 I'll tell you what. If you just let me watch a scary movie every night in October, I will give you something. She goes, then I want Christmas movies in December. Okay. That's, that's fine. I agreed to that. I did not know that such a thing as Hallmark Christmas movies even existed at the time. I've been regretting that decision ever since. The first one she tried to show me was How Sarah Got Her Wings. I said, the title tells you how it ends. Let's just applaud for Sarah and move on. When you said Christmas movies, I thought you meant good Christmas movies. Like Die Hard. <laughs> or Die Hard 2, Die Harder. They're both at Christmas. No, that didn't fly. Tried to show her gremlins, that went bad. Um, but anyway, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of Christmas just because there's so much focus on we've got this coming up, we've got this coming up, we have to have this much food, we have to have a present for this, we have to have this, we have to have that, right, and all that kind of stuff, and it just becomes like stressful. When you're a kid, it's great, but then when you become a parent, it's a pain in the you-know-what. I mean, it's just, and it, and all of this because we're supposed to celebrate Christ's birth. Well, let's take a look at Christ's birth, and we'll talk more about it. I won't be too long. Luke 2. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. 
And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Now, I've seen the movies, I've seen the cards, all that kind of stuff. None of them get it right. Um, I hope Mary, at nine months, was riding a horse or a donkey. There's no mention of one. We don't know. And it's a 90-plus mile hike from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And the last 20 miles are uphill. It's a rough go. It was a rough, rough go. And you can ask, they're engaged. They're not married yet. Why is Mary with him? Well, most scholars agree the simplest answer is he was protecting her life. She was an unwed mother. And in Israel, if you were an unwed mother, any man could put you to death. Joseph was protecting Mary. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. We'll talk about that in a second. Because there was no lodging available for them. Now, many of your translations say there was no room in the inn. Um, Bethlehem was not a big place. There was no Hampton or Hilton sitting there in Bethlehem. You think Bethlehem, think Otway. Not a thriving metropolis. When it says no room or lodging or no room at the end, what it really means is Jewish houses at the time were typically, they were two-storied. And in the back, you'd have the sleeping quarters. That's where the family slept. And there usually be beds back there and so forth. Then you had a sunken level, and on that level was kind of like what we would call a living room. And it would usually just be bare wood or whatever. It was not a comfortable place. And at the end of that, there would run a feeding trough because you wanted to bring your animals in at night. So you'd have a little gate, and you'd bring your animals in, and you'd close them off, and, but they'd have their food trough right there. Why is it? Because the ancient Jews were known for their practice of hospitality. If you went and you knocked on a complete stranger's door in Israel in the first century and said, I need a place to sleep, they believed that the law taught you had to give it to them. And yet, Mary and Joseph are told, yeah, 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 there's not, there's, I know she's nine months pregnant, but there's, there's no bed for her. She can sleep with the animals. Why? Because she was an unwed mother in first century Israel. Our king came and slept his very first night in a human body in a feeding trough. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Most scholars believe those sheep were close to the temple because they were sacrificial. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. The shepherds were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news. I bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger or feeding trough. 
Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and singing glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. I've said this before, shepherds in the first century were considered unclean because of their profession. Unclean meant everywhere you went, you had to announce, unclean, unclean, unclean. And they'd have to announce this to other people before telling them this story. And who could they tell? Probably other shepherds, other people who are unclean. I'm a history buff, and if you read anything about ancient Rome, you know that the Caesar or the king of the Roman Empire had absolute power. If Caesar was in his chariot going down the street in Rome and he just didn't like the looks of you, he could say to any soldier, kill that person and you'd be dead. No trial, no due process. Caesar had absolute power. And Caesar Augustus, who was the leader of Rome at the time, was considered the greatest of them all. Incredibly well-respected. A brilliant politician, a brilliant man. And if you were betting on that night, who would we be talking about 2,000 years later? Caesar or Jesus? In all honesty, who would you have laid money down on? But the shepherds, they get this message. And Adam, you and your crew can come on up. The angels appeared to them. They had some inside knowledge. They knew who was being born. Even though the people who were in that same house with Jesus sat there in that bedroom, sleeping, smugly, thinking about that unwed mother and how dare Joseph bring her around here. And if it wasn't for Joseph, we'd have nothing to do with her. And they're sleeping soundly while Joseph and Mary, in pain and exhausted, are sitting there with the animals. But the angels show up tell the shepherds, you don't understand. It's not Caesar. It's that little baby in the food trough that will change history forever. They didn't see it. They didn't know. Now, what I read to you from the New Living Translation says that the angel said, glory to God. That's true, but that's not exactly what they said. What they said was, hallelujah. Hallelujah is Hebrew for all praise Yah. 
Yah was the short term for God's name because Jews thought it inappropriate to say God's name fully, Yahweh. So they would say Yah for short. All praise to God. What they were saying is, and a couple weeks ago I preached on this, why the virgin conception? It's not that God is against husbands and wives being with each other. That's not the point. The point of the virgin conception is that it was God's work. He wanted the world to know that the Savior comes for me. It is my work. It is not someone I have blessed. It is my very Son with my very Spirit who will live for you, who will die for you, who will rise for you, and one day will return for you. And so, the angels thought the only appropriate thing to say was hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Can I hear you say it? Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say it again. Say it one more time. Hit it. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Holsinger and his Hallelujah Band. Way to go. Thank you, guys. Jerry, Brian, Brady, thank you. What name could contain such a glory? In the cool breezes of Eden, brought from the infant earth, one arose the voice of his creator speaking his identity to life. Adam, man. And as heaven waited short with bread, the creator spoke yet another, Eve, mother of all the living. So it was with Abraham, named in the promise as the father of nations, Peter, the rock upon which the church would stand, 
The name called to life the destiny within. The name set the stage for all that was to come. And unto us a child was born. And what name could contain his glory? For he was mighty God, as the universe gasped into being, flinging rays of light from his presence to pierce the void, to shatter the shadows to a tapestry of color. And he is mighty God, shattering our darkness, revealing our light, our truth in him. He was everlasting father when orphaned Israel needed a father's touch. When we, with grief-stricken cheeks, need the embrace of one who never leaves. When we have lost our way to dark horizons, it is our everlasting father who lights the way home. He is Prince of Peace. When, like Elijah, we need the still small voice in the turmoil's midst. When, like David, we need the melodies of his presence to soothe our troubled minds. He is sanctuary within our trials, shepherd guiding us to still waters. And yes, he is wonderful counselor, God who gives counsel in the chaos, crafting disorder into calm and failure into beauty. He is a voice for the voiceless. He is dignity for the stateless soul. It is he who raised up a lowly shepherd to become a king. He who took the fishermen of Galilee and made them leaders of history. It is the counselor who redeems our lost years, breaking chains that have kept dreams imprisoned and joy confined. The name reaches across eternity, exclaimed by the splendors of galaxies, sung by the passions of angels, roared in heaven's fervor, exalted in creation's unfettered rejoicing. What name could contain him? What title? What soul renowned? For this is our wonderful counselor. This is our mighty God. This is our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. What name could contain Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh, the great I am. What name could contain the word of life, the light of the world, the king of kings, the Lord of all. We bow to the name that holds every other in its matchless worth. What name could contain such a glory? What name but Jesus? We cry Jesus. We cry holy is the name. In the Bible, Old Testament prophets, rabbis, and rabbis in particular were the teachers for the people. Instead of having a church, they had a synagogue. And the head of that synagogue was a rabbi, which means teacher. It was their public school system for the Jewish people. And they really did a pretty good job. A good rabbi used illustrations 
to help people understand what God was saying. And what he would do is he would take an illustration from something the people understood and use it to teach something they needed to know. Almost all of the illustrations in the Bible are from that. Jesus would say he was a rabbi. Maybe a fox would come running over the hill and he would say, the foxes have dens and the birds have their nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. He used that kind of thing. Today we do the same thing, only we're not a master teacher like Jesus. For instance, when people ask me, and especially young folks, about how do you understand and teach the Trinity? How can you be, how can God be three in one? Well, we see things like that all the time, but we take it for granted. Every time you drink a glass of water, you're seeing that because water is in liquid state. You freeze it. It's in an ice. You get it hot enough, it becomes steam. Three, and yet it's H2O. So that's the kind of teaching that Jesus did on a routine basis. Nearly all of the great religions of the world use illustrations like that, and the one that's most common to them all is the difference in light and dark, light and dark. The mannequins did a lot with that. Even Greek philosophy emphasized that a great deal. And especially the Old Testament prophets used that all the time. Isaiah said in 9-2, God has made his light to shine in our hearts. Or, or I'm sorry, that's, that's the wrong one. It was in uh, 9-2 says, uh, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The walking literally means living, and the darkness means sin and ignorance. Let me run that by you then because I screwed it up to start with. Isaiah 9-2 says, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Now that's in the Old Testament, and much of the New Testament uses the Old Testament as a uh, basis for preaching the new. For instance, John said in 1 John 1, 5, God is light. By that he meant God is, helps people understand. He illuminates things. God is light. He, he is not a sinner. He is pure. And it's through him that you can see where you're going and know what path you should take. He go and, and he takes, you go back to the psalmist in the 27th Psalm, verse 1. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So you see, they follow that same thing, that same theme all through the Bible. John used it a lot in the Gospel of John when he's commenting on who Jesus is. Jesus 
he quotes Jesus as saying, I'm the light of the world. The light of the world. The songwriter that we sung as kids in church, they don't sing many hymns anymore, but this was the ba- it was a poem that was the basis of a hymn, The Light of the World is Jesus. The first verse says, The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin, but the light of the world is Jesus. So come to the light. It's shining for you. It said thee, but I don't like these anymore. And that's when Paul commenting on that said, God who lives in us once you're a Christian through the Holy Spirit, God has made his light to shine in our hearts. So God, who came to the earth in the form of a baby, when he went back to heaven, promised he would send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, who could take, is not bound by time and space, could live in us. So, and then Jesus commenting on the fact that he lived, that the Spirit of God lives in his people, said to his people, you're the light of the world. A city that sit on a hill, setting up on a hill, can't be hidden. And if the light of Jesus is in you, it should be clearly seen by anybody who's around you. And so every Christmas Eve for many, many years, we have uh, all participated in a little program that we have of taking tapers and, and uh, lighting them. So at this time, if you guys who are supposed to have that job will get that, get the lights going here, it would be helpful. I don't know who stole my... I like singers, but you can't trust them. The thing that's really impressive about light as an illustration for people like us is that it points out something. It points out that one of us, and because we've all sung what? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And that's true. On our own, one person living your life for Christ has some influence. But folks, if the day comes when all of us would come together and showing the world how we love each other and what the love of God really is as it shines in our hearts, it's truly impressive. And so, you can turn these things off up here too if you want to, Chris. I can, I can survive. If I... What I would like for you to do, as we've done so many times before, is to show you just quickly and simply 
how impressive it is when we're all on the same page, working together, conscious of the fact that God wants us to let our light so shine among men that others can see our good works and then do what? Glorify our Father, which is in heaven. So notice what happens now. When we all stand and lift our lights, and the light in the room suddenly is magnificent. So folks, let your light shine for Jesus. He's more than a baby. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And folks, the way things are going, he might be coming pretty soon. Remain standing, please, for prayer. Nathan, where are you, buddy? You can blow those things out. It... I'm sorry, Nathan got called back to work, so I get to pray. Let's bow our heads and, have so, and, and pray, if you will, ver, silently for about 30 seconds here, asking that the Lord will use this Christmas in our families, in our community, and in our church to lift Jesus higher than you've ever seen him before by both our attitude, our words, and our lifestyle. Lord Jesus, on this silent night, a holy night, when things are so calm, we pray that you will bless each family represented here, that the love of Jesus will be shared amongst them tonight and tomorrow. And may that beautiful light of the presence of Jesus in our lives shine brighter than it's ever shown before. Oh God, it's not just our souls that we're worried about. We're worried about our country, its future, our kids, our grandkids, our great grandkids. Oh God, may the power of the Holy Spirit roll across this congregation and out into the streets and into the city until everybody bows and praises God at the name of Jesus through whom we pray. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.